HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin is home to the nation's only master cheesemakers program that provides innovative cheesemakers with continuing education opportunities? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze. My guest today has been on the show four, to- four times four times, over the past seven years and has worn many hats throughout her career in the cheese industry. We're excited to welcome her back today as an official member of the Cutting the Curd team. She's our new producer and she'll be hosting the show once, once a month as well. Elena Santagate, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thanks, Craig. Happy to be here as always. Yeah. Um, your first appearance on the show was back in 2011 as a hobbyist urban cheesemaker, and you last came on air just about a year ago to talk about your recently published book on home cheesemaking. You have come around full circle. It's true. It's kind of crazy. Life is cyclical in, the, in that way. It is. And as we bring in a new producer and a sometimes host, I wanted to take a second to thank my friend Emily Acosta for helping me out so, so much. I can honestly say um, that when Anne turned over the hosting regularly of the show to me, uh, the first call I made was to Emily for her help. And <laughs> I can honestly say that if I didn't get that help, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a cutting the curd today. So we really, really, really appreciate your work and we miss you. Yeah, Emily did an amazing job. Yeah. Great friend. But here we are. Let's start from the beginning. How did you get into cheese, Elena? Oh, the cheese origin story. Um, you know, I feel like so many people in the cheese industry can't point to one exact moment. Uh, but there, there always are a few aha moments. And for me, you know, I grew up in New York City. I grew up going to Zabar's, Fairway. You know, living um, amidst the greats, the cheese, you know, the sort of olfactory training of my childhood was pretty strong. Sure. And my <laughs> my family was from Wisconsin, so uh, I kind of had that in my roots, too. But, I mean, f- 
for me, cheese was always something really interesting. I got more and more into it when I lived in New York after college. And I would bop around town, kind of exploring cheese shops and tasting cheese everywhere. And eventually, I started making cheese as a way to learn more about it. Not really as a way to make excellent cheese, because that's really hard. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, but it is a great way to understand a product that you feel like you've kind of, okay, I've tasted all this cheese. I'm talking to all these cheesemongers. What's next? So I made cheese for a while and sort of prolonged that for, for a good amount of time. And I was eventually sort of convinced to jump in wholeheartedly by a retailer friend of mine. Who's that? Sergio Hernandez. Sure, who sure. ran Brooklyn Larder back when they opened and yeah. for the, uh, many years. How'd you make that leap from, uh, like, I guess, a hobby cheesemaker to a cheesemonger. Yeah, it was, well, it was really interesting. You know, Sergio, I, I was a regular at that shop. Uh-huh. I loved Brooklyn Larder. And I would bring Sergio my cheeses to taste uh, and get his feedback and kind of tell sure. him about what little creations I was making at home. And mostly I was tasting the cheese that they sold, which uh-huh. is, you know, has they have had an incredible selection since they've opened. And uh, Sergio finally said to me, like, what are you doing? You're so passionate. You're so into this. Come work for me. Try it go. out. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that sometimes you just need somebody to nudge you yeah. into, you know, I'd been, I'd been dancing around the idea for so long. And so I started working nights and weekends just to try out. I, I had the sense to know, hey, I love cheese. Right. It's fun to make cheese. But retailing might be a whole different ballpark. Which it is. Which it totally is. So I tried it out for a few months, and I wound up loving it. And then I jumped in full time. What, um, well, it's funny. You had a, a real established role at a local sort of non, at a nonprofit, correct? When you, when you came in. So did you take a pay cut to take your job at oh, the cheese good counter? Good question. I love this question. <laughs> Boy, did I take a pay cut. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, that's why, that's what ha- invariably happens to people who come in and end up working retail for right. the first time after being established as a, you know, in a real job. Yeah. As like a legitimate <laughs> human being, you know, <laughs> supposed to, you know, yeah, I mean, that was like, that was a big uh, factor in the decision, you know, and I, luckily I had enough flexibility and I had enough, uh, savings to that, savings. Yeah. You got to have some savings. Sure. Um, and you know, I think it's a really interesting topic of how do we, how do we survive in, in this industry and financially and make it work? Well, you know, the thing is, as I've been a cheesemonger in New York City for a long time. Right. I moved here and became a cheesemonger, which is even more difficult now. See, you have home court advantage. This is where That's you grew true. up. That so is you true. have family. You can't really get kicked out of the city. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, you're from true. here. So it would be nice if more people followed that path. Right. But I think that you need a lot of times it, – it's survival of the fittest. And, totally. and And you get a lot of really intelligent people working at the cheese counter and driven people, but they always marginalize out after a certain amount of time. Right. Especially in New York City, as you know, because they have to pay their fucking rent. Yeah, it's you know? nuts. I mean, for me, it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm giving up my one-bedroom my one bedroom apartment and I'm going to have a roommate. So right. that, was, that was number one. Like, mm-hmm. how do I... Basically, I thought to myself, how do I cut my expenses down so that this could be doable. And I gave myself like one year to, to see how it went right. and try to make more. Sure. So that was key. And that was a big driving force. But the other thing was, as you know, Greg, I loved it. 
Yeah, I loved working the counter. And so when you when you fall for a job like that, it's like, you know, you'll do anything. And I really did. It was amazing how quickly I changed kind of my uh, my cost of living. Oh, yeah. You made some adjustments. Yeah. Did it bother you to be sort of the lower part of the totem pole? Did you have a make an adjustment to, you know, taking orders from people working in a retail environment where even though you were in a good one, Mm -hmm. like Brooklyn Larder. Right. You're still going to run into some people there that you have to respect without maybe really right. thinking they're not full of shit, and <laughs> like, you know you have to go through all of that, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely. I was ready to learn. That was the good right. thing. You know, you come into it, you're humble. You're humbled. I think that yeah. you have to, without a humble, uh, humble spirit. I don't know yeah, what you screwed. would. Yeah, I don't know how it would go. It wouldn't go very long. No, and I've seen it, unfortunately, go that way. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was like I had everything to learn, yeah. and there was an amazing crew. The management group at That's Brooklyn Martyr was incredible. A lot timing of, is key. Timing was huge. And so there were, it, there was actually like a group of four managers at the time, and they all had kind of come out of early Murray's days. Sure. It was a really interesting it's group different culture. People. Totally. And then... Uh, they just, they were also really tight on the operations. So I got to you learn. You had to be. You didn't have this sort of corporate structure above you that right. pretended to have all the numbers worked out. Exactly. You actually had to pay for all of the napkins you used and right. all of the plastic wrap you wasted. Exactly. Every, like, millimeter worth of product that you throw in the trash, you count. Exactly. And, and I, you know, that's a different way to learn. Big time. And learning from scarcity, scarcity in that's the, in the food industry do. is big. Huge. Um, you know, then after I worked at Larder, I went and uh, was the lead cheesemonger and buyer at Beecher's in uh-huh. Manhattan. And it, like the theme of like learning from a tight operation continued there because there we actually had, you know, they had just opened a few months earlier and business was okay, but it wasn't like booming on, right. on the cheese retail side. Yeah. So there I really had to learn how to cheese, keep the cheese in good shape. And sell more That's a of it, big skill. but yeah, but yeah, we had to and keep, keep enough the of it out there so that you look like you're in business. Exactly. Well, it becomes a tipping point. You learn all of that. Yeah, and and you also find out who you are, and you can't be who you're not. Mm-hmm. So you know, you may work for a person that says, "I need a massive display of cheese," like. Greg has at Italy, but we, you know, you sell a third <laughs> well, of the amount yeah, of product. It makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. Yeah. Features yeah. an interesting counter. I, I took great pleasure in uh, taking several employees from yes, that place. Yes, I remember that yeah. that was a hobby Most of, of yours. Most of still work for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Insane. That, uh... Chris Knappick, good guy. Mm, Andrew Torrance works with us. Huh. Great cheesemaker. I think Coulter was the first one to, to jump Coulter. to Italy. If you're listening, Coulter, we missed you at Beecher's. Yeah, man. So yeah, you but that's know, a tough gig though. It and was the really cool thing about it for me also was that it was an all-American selection. Sure. And early on in my cheese sort of literacy, as I was really learning, that like focus and 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 uh, that sort of spectrum of options, yeah, was perfect because sure. I got to focus in on American cheesemakers and learn about the, you know, the international classics, but through the lens of what was happening here in the sure. U S and that was really, sure. that was really fun. And you learned from the retail. Uh, so you, you changed uh, gears in your career and changed, changed the hats, but mm-hmm. you started at the retail counter. So you, it made, it made it easier for you 
in a real way, in a good way, and this is why I like enjoyed to do business with you when you <laughs> were working with the cheesemakers because mm-hmm. you know what reality is. Right. You you can't. I don't think you can start unless you are. Um, let's say you. Your family owns a, an importing business, like, like right. Adam. You know, right. like Adam doesn't have to work at the cheese counter. He understands he a different it. part of the business, but that's and it's his part that he does. Yeah. But I but I don't think that some people can start out as a sales rep and never really have the credibility with the cheesemongers. Totally. As if you go the other way around, and I, I was wondering, you know, did you find that to be true? Completely. I mean, so after doing retail, after Beecher's, I went and opened one more. I opened a, a Campbell Cheese and Grocery right. here in a nice Brooklyn. store. Great store, beautiful store. Sure. And a totally fun and pretty amazing project opening sure. that one. Uh, and But then you're right. From there, I jumped over to the producer side. And I took a little bit of a break from retail. And having been a buyer and a retailer and opened a store from soup to nuts, it was like, a huge leg up. I felt I felt that that experience completely informed me on the sales side and on the producer side, especially as at that point the producer I was working for was smaller, you know, hadn't really been in the New York City market. Right. Um, and so being able to really paint the picture for them of what they're dealing yeah. with, who they're trying to sell to and what their lives were like sure. was huge. And, and an interesting thing and that and why uh, we, you and I become friends and why it's easy for us to work together as so for myself, I am I, I run a retail store now, but I've also done all of the other jobs. I've never been a cheesemaker, but I've matured right. cheese and I understand the processes. And when I talk to you, I know you've actually worked all the jobs, so you're not really trying to sell me anything. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm trying to like solve a problem. Right. It's and like, you're in it all the way. Right. Like, uh, I but, see all sides of that equation. But I feel like sometimes people they don't. I think you would probably agree, and and one of the reasons why I enjoy to to host the show here mm-hmm. to do this, and why I think you will, is because my ability to relate to the different kinds of people that come on the show mm-hmm. isn't fabricated as yours. Isn't. You under, you you know what it means to make cheese, right? And to mature cheese, right? You know, so totally. That's an, and that's a I know for me for doing uh, doing cutting the curd, mm-hmm. uh, I was able to learn. So much, but because I had knew a little part of the of the other, yeah, exp- because I had that kind of experience, it was easier for me to relate to the people totally. I was talking. It makes to. sense, you know. And it's interesting when I think about listening to this radio show over the years, and and when I think about the 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 newer people that I see jumping into the cheese industry, I do think. You know, working for a producer and working as a retailer are two great first steps in a career. You sure. know, I think you could start at either one of those, and if you jump to the other, one would inform the other in a cool way. Well, yeah, your hands are with the product, right? Way. And and then, you know, jumping in on the sales side or doing you know distribution or importing and, and being more on the business end in, in that way. You know, then you, you you're so far ahead in terms of your understanding of how to get that job done and what your customers are sure. looking for. But you're right that if you had started on that side, I think it would be trickier. I just don't think it works that way. Yeah. In my experience, you know, tells me. Or it's more of a learning curve. Sure. I just, yeah. Either way, uh, I just know how how I am and how I relate to the people in my world. Yeah. Uh, And anybody who's putting their time behind the counter is someone that I immediately trust more than people who aren't, who haven't. Or someone who says, I'm a cheesemaker, you know? Right. Totally. 
Uh, you also, um, some of our listeners may know this, uh, <laughs> some may not, that you organize a group called Women in Cheese. Uh-huh. Uh, what's that all about? Ah, the Although women I in know cheese. what that's all yeah, about. Yeah, you do know what it's all about. You were at an early brainstorming session, if I if I remember clearly. You, I was. Greg was, I was the an one and only. In he was the one and only man uh, <laughs> present at the at, at a woman in cheese event. That was a good time. It was. Yeah, women in cheese. I mean, this year, what? This is the f- now. See, how I many people have, you got? I should have done a fact check before I came on because now I'm gonna. I want to say this is the beginning of the fifth year. That's fantastic. Yes, it's really exciting, and it's you know, women and cheese is just a loose, a loose group. It's a it's a sort of a casual group of uh, women who work in the cheese industry in in any way, and uh, we get together in person. It's an in person gathering sort the of networking thing. Yeah, I mean, that word networking seems like sounds so corporate. But I think, but listen, I think women Is it a place where you get hammered <laughs> and talk shit about people? No, not not as much as you might think. <laughs> not as much as you might think. Every club that I'm a member of is exactly that's, that's that. That's the agenda. You know, <laughs> that's not gender I, will say, specific. I will say that women and cheese, there's always great, great food and beverage right. at women and cheese. We gather every... You know, four to six weeks or, you know, busier times of the year, maybe every two months. Uh And we just get together in person and connect. And that's really all it has been with the addition of now we do a yearly karaoke at ACS. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, 2018 will be our third annual karaoke at ACS. Got to find a karaoke bar in Pittsburgh. I know, or if anybody's got a lead on that, let me know. There you go. The women in cheese will show up in, in numbers for that one. Sure. So we're going to take a short break, uh, but then we're going to come back and do a little bit more radio with Elena. (laughs) Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long, storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satari's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk, fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze, with new Cutting the Curd producer and soon-to-be monthly host, Elena Santagate. We're getting to know Elena today, but some of us already do. And we're going to, you know, make her talk more as she jumps into her new role on our little <laughs> gotta radio get used, team. Got to get used <laughs> to the microphone. Yeah. On the second half of the episode, uh, I'd like to get meta for a minute, although I don't know what that even means. Um, Very cool word, right? (laughs) Talk about radio on the radio. Uh, I do a lot of thinking about the purpose of the show, about what it brings to our listeners' lives, and I think about who our listeners are 
and what we can help them with. And I also, I learn a lot by doing the show, which is awesome. And it's free, free learning for me. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I wanted you to tell me a little bit about what brings you to radio as a medium and why specifically a radio show about cheese. Good. Uh, I, first of all, I feel like we are going through a complete renaissance. Is it even a renaissance? It might just be an explosion of radio. The podcast world is insane. They're everywhere. It's insane. I, have, I, I, I don't want to sleep. I want to listen to podcasts all yeah. night. Absolutely. So I feel like it's really exciting in the sense that there's so many great shows and, and to, you know, every topic is up for, up for debate. And cheese, you know, the thing, I think you'll relate to this, Greg. Oh, yeah. Part of why we love cheese, I mean, it's delicious for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. But to take that even further, there is no limit to the talking and the thinking and the learning that you can do about everything surrounding cheese. Sure. Cheese in and of itself is this product that you can look at, you can touch, you taste it, you, f- you, know, you can smell it. But what it represents is cultural history, right? Geography, uh, you know, every, every kind of period of human existence. Yeah, you can, I agree trace to some dairy product and there's it's an, that's an insane a food is important yeah and cheese is an interesting food item that it, it's one of the very 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 minimal amount of food items that appreciates in value over time yeah. which i find to be fascinating yeah the economic part of it is so amazing it really is yeah and it stops time mm-hmm. uh, which i also find to be really hmm. interesting it's currency what do you uh, what do you mean by that that it stops time well, if you take a look at matured cheese, like a Parmigiano, it's three years, mm-hmm. three years ago. Yeah. That's where you were. Right. It's almost time traveling. Sure. Yeah. Where it slows down the clock. Right. Really to me, cool. it does. Totally. Totally does. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with all of those things. Those, and and uh, those are uh, definitely what brought me to do this for as long as I have. But... I always, and there are tons of podcasts, there's tons of information, there's tons of, of stuff on stuff and more stuff. Everything you can possibly imagine. Like what I like about this particular show is that it came from cheese people mm-hmm. and it's, it's run by cheese people and yeah. it's for cheese people yeah. and people to listen to. So we can talk about these things, mm-hmm. but we work with the stuff. So we, we can, but I don't go around holding up every piece of cheese that I come and they're trying to tell everybody how super important it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's fucking it might get a little so tiring. annoying. It might know? get tiring. And, and I've seen that, you know, that attitude through my time sometimes be with waxes and wanes, you mm. know? I think also the thing that what thinking back on my own career in the cheese industry and pre, but even before I worked in cheese, this podcast you know, you mentioned it's free learning. It felt like a graduate degree in cheese. Oh, I mean, the amount of information that I've learned from listening to this very show over the years, Greg Blaze, <laughs> is pretty remarkable. And I, I, I say the same thing. I do wonder, you know, I, I find myself wondering, who are you listeners? Right. Are you all brand new like I once was? Have you followed the show over the years? You know, I think it'll be really fun. Part of... Part of what I'm looking forward to is actually finding a way to get to understand who the listeners are a bit more. Sure. And uh, and I think, you know, I have my theories about whether or not it's people new to the industry who find out about the show or long timers who are 
you know, hooked for life. But I think there's both. I do think there's both as well. When I when I said saying in the beginning, then what what Emily and I tried to do mm-hmm. uh, when when we started to work um, together on the show was to grow the listeners, mm-hmm. and I think that we helped to do that. Mm-hmm. And I found out that we have people that listen to us in Hong Kong and crazy in Mumbai and in, well, here's in, in a you know everywhere you know. I, I I've already told this to you, you know, in recent weeks. But I was recently in Sweden, uh-huh. and I'll say this because I do think our listeners will get a kick out of this. <sighs> and you and I had just discussed this new role, and we were kind of in the works of uh, me coming on sure. onto the team. And I go to Sweden, and I'm in Stockholm, and I go to a market where they're selling cheese, and I meet a cheesemonger who listens to the show. Yeah, that's great. He said, oh, yeah, Greg Blaze. (laughs) Do you know him? (laughs) And I thought, this is awesome. So I do think it's, uh, you know, listeners, we're talking about you now, and, you know, it's just... You inspire us, and I felt so inspired by the show, uh, and I'm excited to be in the position where I can think more about who's listening and how that inspires me. That's what you, yeah. That that's is that what you're most excited about? Maybe that's you know I hadn't really said that out loud yet, but I do feel most excited about that. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I also like being here at Roberta's. You know, (laughs) an excuse to come and eat pizza at Roberta's restaurant once a month is not bad. Doing the, the the podcast here with uh, uh, the team at Heritage, with uh, Patrick Martins and with Erin Fairbanks when she was here, she and Jen, and Jack Inslee taught me so much, and and I work with uh, David and Veter and, and just and Katie and all just the awesome people that work at at Heritage. I, I'm I'm always super proud and humbled to mm-hmm. be able to come hmm. and that people listen. Uh, so yeah, I, I try to. It's pretty rad. And I'm sure they're, that the listeners will be happy that there's somebody else. I'm sure that they're pretty tired of me at this point. So oh, I don't know about that, Greg. Well, gonna, I think also Diane's show has uh, has probably widened the scope a bit with the book review focus. Hundred percent. That's been really an interesting part. If there's a book about cheese that's that's out there, Diane has yeah, interviewed. She's talking about it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And so, cheese predates all of us. Yeah, except for Anne. That's true. Uh, here's a, a question. Show. Here's a question for you, Greg. Oh yeah. Have you had a radio show before? I I know that you have some history in radio. No, I I I, I haven't had a radio show before. I I I was a journalist. Uh, or that's what my degree says. Right. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what your degree says. Sure. I, I there are a radio. There are interviews that I've done. Uh, archived. I, I mean, I graduated from college a long, long time ago. Hmm. So there were still divisions of my college called print journalism. That doesn't <laughs> really exist anymore. What's that? Yeah, but I love it. I I think um, I understand the parameters of this. Yeah. Well, obviously, and you've got the voice. Right. Yeah. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. I'm really happy that you're here. That you're here with us. Thanks. It's Me great. too. It's I'm always, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it, like it's, it was always good to have you on the show, and and it'll be great for you and I to be able to to see where we go from here. Mm-hmm. That's the beautiful thing about about this show is that it it we 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 all own it and it all owns us. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, it it's. It's fantastic. I'm just like happy that I have been a part of it for as long as I have and that I'll get to continue to do that and that we get to do it together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to many great shows in the future. 
Right on. So stay tuned next week for both of us, or is it just me again? Might be just you next week, but soon it'll be both of us. <laughs> We're both so busy we have to divide up the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but please stay tuned and uh, welcome Elena to the show, and we'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Ciao. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Schulk, and your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.